if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Our guest today on Horse Chats is Liz Roos. So Liz is going to talk to us. Liz is in Germany. She's um, spent a bit of time in Australia. She's been to an American school, but she's in Germany now. And she follows the philosophy of the old masters. Okay, so we're talking about equestrian art, the art of riding. But before I introduce Liz, I'd just like to remind you about International Horse College. So International Horse College supports safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. If safety and horse welfare are important to you, have a look at the flexible course options, including instructor qualifications and six different instructor qualifications at internationalhorsecollege.com. Chat to our friendly staff about a course that's going to suit you. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Now, Liz, are you there? You're welcome to um, Horse Chats. Yes, yes, I'm here. Thank you very much. And um, from my side, good morning. I think you guys are in the afternoon. We are in the afternoon, yes. And I've been talking to people from the US and Canada today. I don't know if I've actually had any one that I'm in chatting to today from Australia, which is a little bit different. Um, might have one later on this afternoon from Australia. Usually it's, you know, the first one in the morning and the first one in the and the last one in the afternoon are from overseas, but you're from Germany and we're sort of mid-afternoon now, so the time suits quite well. Now, Liz, I've just got to ask you your favourite quote. What's your favourite quote? Because um, I think, you know, when we talk about a favourite quote and I talk to you about Tell us a little bit more about, you know, how you got that quote or when it's used. It tells us a bit more about the person. So have you got a favourite quote you'd like to talk to us about? I do. I do. I've actually got two, and my students get that quote all the time. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, it's, one is for the writing aspect and, aspect, and one is for the human person aspect. So we've got, which is in German, it's called Richtig Reiten Reicht, which is pretty much... Um, if you ride correctly, it's enough. You don't need any gadgets. You don't need any poolside. Something rains. All you need to do is understand your horse, be with your horse, and ride correctly. And Mr. Stecken said that, Paul Stecken. And then my my current coaching riding mentor is um, Manuel Oliveira, Manuel George de Oliveira, and he says, be calm, be patient. And I really think that sums it all up. Um, for what we need to be. We need to be very reflective of ourselves and need to be very clear on who we want to be so that we can be very quiet within ourselves when we handle the horses. Not quiet as in don't be decisive. We need to be very good leaders, but we need to be very patient and very calm. And I think that sums it all up. And what Mr. Stecken says, really, it's interesting because in Germany, it's a, it's a quote that everyone uses and nobody, well, everyone says, but nobody uses it because they look around in the stables and the horses are just, you know, they're pulled together. They've got all gadgets attached to them and people just forget that they need to ride. Um, so that's why I think it is just so important. And I think the two almost come together, don't they? You know, if, you, if you're being calm and being patient, then you've got the time to ride correctly. But if you're in a hurry, sometimes it's just not enough time to get it all together. Exactly. 
exactly. So that's why I think I need it. I need to say both because they're both pretty much the philosophy I live by. Yeah, yeah. Now, Liz, you really focus on the old masters. Tell us a bit about that and how it's different. Like, did you start off when were you introduced to the old masters? You know, tell us a little bit about that because people get introduced them at all different stages of life, and you know, it's all a learning journey. You know, you might know about horses for a long time, but not know about um, a different philosophy or, you know, about the old masters. Tell us a bit about that and your journey between first being connected with horses and then looking at that philosophy. Uh, to be honest, it started at a very, very young age because my dad is a, um archaeologist and he used to work in um, old ancient Greek. So um, that very, very old master, Xenophon, was very prominent in my life because I had all these paintings and arts of the old Greek people riding. And I always looked at that and went, oh, that looks so good. You know, they've got no bridle, they've got no saddle, and yet these horses are so rhythm. So even at a very early age, I was pretty much introduced with that picture. And then off I went into riding and, you know, I climbed onto apple trees to get onto horses when I was too small to actually get on. Um and then it all sort of got lost and I went into the what I now call mainstream riding um, because that's what, you know, you see all around. And that picture of that I had in my childhood got very muddled and I, I kept looking at the horses around me thinking, that does not look like what I thought riding should look like. And um, then I came to Australia and in Australia, riding looked when I – 20 years ago, <laughs> riding looked a lot different um, and it, it looked a lot more like what I thought riding should look like because in Germany, the horses were already very low, very drawn in, very curled up at that time even. And in Australia, that was not the case and I loved what I was seeing. And then that's where I got more into the, let's call it proper riding <laughs> with, you know, education and formal education. And over Pony Club, I came, I thought, well, I really should try and teach kids more. And they introduced me to Richard Mitten. So when you say Pony Club, that's Pony Club in Australia? That's Pony Club in Australia. Germany does not have Pony Club, which I tried to install, but <laughs> I was a little bit by myself there. <laughs> but I thought I loved the concept of Pony Club. Um, 20 years ago. I don't know what it's like now, obviously, because I'm not there anymore. I can only speak from the time when I was there, but that was brilliant. That was so good. And um, Richard and Tanya really taught me what it means to ride. I mean, obviously, Richard coming from such a high professional level of riding and Tanya too, um, they don't need gadgets because they know how to ride properly. And I was very happy there again. And I thought, yeah, this is what riding should be like. And I came back to Germany and I was absolutely flabbergasted. It was horrible, or still is horrible here. It gets more horrible every day, pretty much. And um, really in Berlin, we're like this little oasis. And people come because they see good, healthy horses. They see riding school horses that have been there for 10 years and that still love their job, that are very well educated that know how to teach a person who doesn't know yet how to ride. And that's really how I got more and more reconnected to the old masters because the, the concept of a good riding school horse has always been there for the last 50 years. 
and you know the concept of a of a well educated horse teaching the beginner rider um, is what I thought really needs to be reestablished, and that's what my mission is. And I've got thirty two horses, out of which probably ten can piaf and passage, and you know do all the high um, really good high level stuff. And yeah, that's what we aim to do. So just tell me about the pathway there, you know, because, I mean, ideally, everyone should be riding FEI horses, okay? You know, from the beginner right through to the experienced rider. And it's like if you ride a horse at a high level, that's going to increase your skills, increase your feel, increase your ability to do things. Whereas if you're riding a young green horse, you tend to compensate your position and, you know, get a bit rougher with your aids and things like that because the horse can feel it. So if you've got an FEI horse and we've got beginners, you know, like who's training the FEI horses? Is that you because you've already been through that? Or, you know, who's who's going to get the horses ready for the beginner rider? That's, you know, it's sort of like a chicken and the eggs bit of a story. So tell us a little bit about that. It is a bit, but I... I do beg to differ a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm not a huge fan at all of the beginner riding getting a green horse because I do not think that works. But having said that, every beginner rider from the very first lesson they have can learn how to improve the horse. They can learn to stand with the horse and feel the muscles of the horse and then they can learn how to do some chewing exercises with the horse and loosen up the muscles and from there, every lesson can teach even the most beginner rider to not hurt the horse in the first, obviously, instances. This is under under someone's guidance, though, isn't it? Under someone's guidance. Nobody can ride under without guidance. Like, even I have lessons every two weeks at least, and then I read a book every day. Well, I don't, obviously don't read a whole book every day, but, you know, I, I have a time set apart in the morning where I educate myself, where I watch videos, where I talk to Tanya or where I do stuff to improve myself um, as a person or even my knowledge as a rider. And I think that's, that's really what people need to be aware of, that you can't learn how to ride. Well, you can learn how to be with the horse and ride on the horse, but your understanding of biomechanics, of aids, of your body, of your shortages in your body all that needs to happen away from the horse. And that's really, I think, the biggest problem. Because when people come prepared to the lesson, anybody can learn very little steps very quickly. Okay. So what you're saying then, and tell me if I've got it right, and, you know, I'm sure that you agree with me, is that ideally everyone is riding uh, perfectly trained. Not that I know that there's, you know, perfectly trained. I think horses act by instinct and, and you never get the perfectly trained horse because even if you get a horse that's very well trained, they're still going to act by instinct. But if you've got your beginner rider and your well-trained horse or a beginner rider with a horse that maybe doesn't have so much training, it's very important then that someone is there with knowledge. So you can't get a beginner rider and a beginner horse and think that they're going to magically transform the world there's got to be someone there with knowledge and that's where the instructor comes in to guide them both, almost like two little kids taking one in each hand and just guiding them both in the right direction. Is that the way you look at it? Absolutely, absolutely. 
And what part of our, our concept is that when people do want to get a young horse because they want that experience of, um, well, to be honest, I think a lot of it is a lot of a bit too much bubble dream world happening there. But, you know, you can't tell people don't buy a young horse. But then if you're going to buy a young horse, please do at least bring it to us. <laughs> um, where then we can teach the horse the basics, but you can be part of it. And then you, the inexperienced or young rider, can learn on our schoolmasters how to do the things properly. And we bring the two, you and your young horse together parallel to you improving your riding but yeah it is absolutely not possible it, it's not possible to have an inexperienced rider find a good way a healthy way for themselves or the horse without any knowledgeable person around so if we haven't got the very experienced horse helping a greener rider or a very good rider helping a young horse with we've got to have the well well trained well qualified instructor that's coming in and helping the young green rider and helping the green horse and putting them together i think that's a really good way to think of it there's got to be someone experienced somewhere that's the teacher the leader and um and helping with that partnership absolutely and can i just say at this point it is even if you get a super experienced super well trained horse and um, I might just use the Western horses in, as an example here. Um, you get this horse that knows all the voice commands, but really it's not only voice commands, it's also body language and body body aids, really. Um, and you get these horses, and I see it all the time, the people buy these super expensive older Western horses, and they can't canter them after three weeks. But it's not just, you know, you still, even if you have an experienced horse, you still need to get lessons. There's no way known that even an experienced horse will teach you unless you have somebody telling you what's happening because horses do have a different demeanor and language to us because they're prey animals and we're predators by instinct. So everything that is logical to us is not logical to them. Yeah, and, and they're just looking to be comfortable. So if someone's saying, no, I want the canter, you know, and I'm thinking more dressage horse, I want you to sit more, I want you to, you know, to shorten, to lengthen, to do this, to do that, and then a, a less experienced rider is getting on that horse who's who doesn't have the feel, who's not as sharp as in quick with their aids and quick and quick to reward as well. If they're not giving the horse the right reward, the horse is going to stop trying as hard. Absolutely, and that's that's where you are so spot on. I, uh, that's what we train and teach is you need to be so present, and people are not present anymore these days, and that's where we get back to, you know, you need to be in a good spot in your mind um, when you come to the horse, and you need to be so present, you need to feel your horse, you need to be able to understand what it means to give and also to, you know, trust the horse, so to give in advance so the horse can soften. You're, you know, you're holding and waiting. The horse is not going to want to follow you. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available. And the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. 
With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. So how does this work then? You know, and I'm thinking about you being in um, opposition, you know, like on a commercial setting. You know, you're setting up and you say, right, we've got these horses and this is our philosophy and this is the way we teach. But having trained school horses that are ridden, you know, ridden in between lessons by experienced riders and, you know, kept happy, kept so that they understand what's required, that takes more time, more staff and more capital investment for a trained school horse. How do you then work with the riding school down the road who doesn't pay as much for their horses, who just allows them to be ridden by beginner rider, beginner rider, beginner rider without reminding the horse of, you know, what they should know. Their capital expenses are lower because they don't have to purchase the horse and their running expenses are lower because they don't have to pay staff to ride the horse in between. You know, surely you've got to be paying more on a commercial basis than the riding school down the road. How does that work? Are you able to charge more for the local clientele or is it because you got a better reputation that you're able to stay in business? How does that work? I'm nodding my head. <laughs> you can't see that, but I'm, I'm sitting here nodding because you, you um, pretty much very much summed up exactly the situation. But I'm very happy to say that because we have a lot of young kids coming and young kids feel and see what is good. And um, I've actually got a riding school fence to fence with me that is pretty much sums up what you just explained. And um, they see our kids riding across the fence and they go, mom, I want to ride over there, <laughs> quite literally. And um, so it, it is reputation. And yes, we do get to charge more because um, people do understand and see the difference in our horses. And just the fact that, you know, you can walk up to every single one of the horses and they'll face you with a nice face and come to you and, you know, be nice when you touch them and saddle them and, you know, they all give the feet easily and stuff like that. And that is not normal for riding schools. So people see that and, and, and they see our photos and they go, I want to sit on a horse and feel a piaf and I can go, yep, not a, not a problem. Book a lesson and here we go. Yep. Yep. And, and just safety wise too, it's, it's got to be better working with horses that have had that extra training that understand what they can do that they're ridden by experienced riders and reminded of, um, you know, this is the correct way to do to do things. They're not as frustrated. So safety-wise, you've got to have a safe, bit of safety record. Is that right? And, and kids and their parents, the parents, the kids don't want to lose confidence. They want to be happy when they're riding. And the parents can also see, especially if the parents with a little bit of a horse background, they can see if you're being safe. Do you um, get that sort of reputation that it's safer to ride, that you don't have the amount of falls or something that another club does or another riding school does? Absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, we sometimes stuff happens. It's usually their horse stepped on a foot because kid was not paying attention sort of thing. So, it's, it's you know, that happens. Um, but once again, I do have that comparison to right next door where literally every month the ambulance will pull up and we've had two ambulances in 12 years. Um, and those were the boys with actually private riders, not my horses. 
Um, so, uh, yes, you are so right there. And, and it's, as a trainer, I look at it and like, why would I want to be putting myself in a situation where I know the horse is not safe, the kid is not safe? I wouldn't want to be there. I think that's how it also started out with the horses that I have. I'm like, there's no way known that I'm going to work, you know, six hours a day being frightened that somebody's going to fall off. I, I can't, you know, you can't do that. Well, I can't do that anyway. So that's where I went, you know, these kids and these horses need to be safe and then we can go from there. Yeah. I think that reminds you then about, um, you know, having a philosophy like that and just keeping that safety, it's its the safety and the horse welfare and keeping that top of mind above that whole, you know, financial commercial reality, it, it then allows you to be more commercial. So it's probably a bigger investment in your time and effort, but ultimately it pays out a lot better. Absolutely. And that's how it went at the start. Like everyone just sort of smiled at me and they're like, oh, you know, you're living your Australian fairy tale. And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> and I'm going to bring my little piece of Australia here. And it was funny, after two years, people actually walked on and they're like, walking through your gates is like walking into a different world. It's so calm and peaceful here. Like you step out of pretty much out of the city of Berlin and you come to me and it's it's different. And, you know, obviously, once again, kids notice this a lot earlier, but adults do too. And they say, you know, look, we come here just to be here, even if we don't ride. And that's really what I wanted to establish. And that's what the horses do. They make us better people. They teach us to to be, to be pretty much. <laughs> and when we start being and being present, then, then we, we're so much more capable of being gentle and kind and compassionate. Liz, what makes you different then? Is it the connection that you've got with the horse that makes you think, right, this is the way I'm going to set up? And is it that connection as opposed to it's just got to be financial, financially viable from the start? Or what's, what's the difference, do you think? You know, where did you start different to someone else? Is it because you knew you had that high ideal in your mind before you got started? Yes, Definitely. And, and once again, Tanya here helped me so much in, in pretty much bringing me up <laughs> where I was when I went back to Germany, just, just mentally and being prepared. And um, I just I just looked at the German horse industry and I said, no, this is just not how it can be. And I um, I looked at the horses and I went, look, you know, I can I can improve the world of the horses that are in my world and then I can show the world how a good safe horse can be. And I must say I had financial backing from my mom and my grandfather. So without that, it would have not been possible. I, I do understand that, that, you know, when you start out and you don't have a lot, you, you have to, you know, have the horses work a lot more. And, you know, with me, I'm, I'm at that very good point where my horses only do two lessons a day, max. Most of them do one lesson. Like they go out, they play in the paddock as a herd, and then they come in, um, and they get, you know, either schooled by one of my staff or me, and then they do one lesson, or they do one lesson in the morning, one lesson at that. That's it. You know, no horse will work more than two two hours max. But I think, and it's great that you've had help from your family, but I think you don't have to start off. How many horses have you got again? Um, now I've got 32. Yeah, I don't think you need to start off with 32. No. You know, you can do this with, you know, but even with a full-time job, and I'll just teach one lesson in, in the night or in the evening when I finished or I'll just, you know, do something on the weekend. I think if you've got the right um, approach right from the start, you don't have to start big, but if you um, 
you then teach and only have very small base of clientele. You know, the word gets out. You have a waiting list and at some stage then you sort of cut down your hours, work part-time and then eventually you might stop your other work or stop your other job to do this full-time but you don't have to start off and do it full-time right from the start and, you know, borrow a million dollars and everything else, I think. that um, and, 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 and they didn't. Um, you just pretty much described my way uh, that I went in Germany. I started out as a financial um, advisor and um, insurance person <laughs> and I worked full-time insurance and uh, had my horse and then I started teaching kids and it, it, it went exactly the way you just described it and then, you know, word got out and it became more horses and then I had that possibility of buying a riding school that was there with all the infrastructure um, which is then where mum and grandpa stepped in and I am so grateful that they did and um, yeah it went from that and that what you just said is exactly it I mean I've got a waiting list of pretty much a backlog of two years pretty much from the start <laughs> because I always had less horses than I had people wanting to ride so coming in like this, and great that you had the financial backing, but you've got to have had other challenges. You know, people might be telling you it's not possible, you can't do it. Was that the biggest challenge when they told you that you couldn't do it or you've had other challenges? I had my best friend look at me and go, why are you doing this? You've, you know, you've, you've got all this money, use it differently. And I just look at her and I said, no, I'm going to change the world. Um, and... Um, and to me, it was always completely clear that, you know, every horse's and kid's life that I can change is a little step towards somewhere bigger and somewhere more beautiful. And um, I I so believe that the horses have got so much to give to kids, especially, I suppose, in the cities, because the kids here are so detached from everything that is good. And, and I'm generalizing now, I do understand that, but a lot of the kids that I meet, they're so hyperactive and so not connected and the horses just look at them and they calm down immediately and um, as far as I'm concerned that is just you know everything and to see a child just settle down and then actually it's funny like little things where people or the parents are like you know every time they come back from you they say thank you and please and I'm like well yes because that's common manners and you need manners when you want to be around a horse or an animal and um it's just those little things that I live for to, you know, teach and improve lives, I suppose. Sounds a bit big, but that's what it is. No, you hear that story all the time, you know, and it's all like we get them here, you know, the kids come and it's that one time in the week they, you know, their character changes. They're calm and they're a bit different because they can't be, you know, running around and hyperactive. They They calm down. They calm down and they're... You know, like they they might get in the car and stop picking on their brother or, you know, just the whole, it's, exactly. it's different exactly. and it's a different behaviour, that so connection. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. There's certainly many benefits with horses and it's not even just all about the riding. It's um, it's about just being there and, and being responsible for that short amount of time, whether they're riding or, you know, brushing or, or just leading the horse. Um, that that's a different level of responsibility that they normally have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just one of the biggest challenges that I have every day, <laughs> pretty much. I, um, to be honest, my life is very relaxed and very good and easy. I don't have that many outside challenges, but my challenge on myself is just every day to be so present with all the students that I have and to not you know, have my story 
come in at any stage, but always just look at them and and be with them and be right with them where they are at that day. And then teach them to understand that, you know, maybe even if last time we did a canter, today, your little heart is so, you know, curled up with something or you're so busy in your mind. Let's just sit here and do a little meditation with the pony and or do a little yoga, settle you down. And then maybe we only get to brushing and leading the horse or doing some groundwork. And it is amazing how many kids and adults will actually happily take that on. I think one of the biggest mental challenges for me was to say, you know, look, I'm going to take you where you are right now and not give you the mainstream writing lesson. You come right, you walk and you go home. So many times we don't get past the walk, even with a very experienced rider, because they're so stiff from having sat on a chair for, you know, eight hours. It's like, no, you, you cannot, we cannot do anything until we've got you soft and supple. Um, or, you know, they're thinking about a fight that they had with someone or a bad grade or whatever. And it's like, I teach them, or the horse really, it's not me, it's the horse that will teach that person or child how to cope with living. And then they walk away and they go, oh, you know, I feel so much better now. So if I, if I look at the, the whole, you know, you said a soft and supple mind, uh, meditation, NLP, now you talked a little bit before about your connection with Tanya and that's Tanya Mitten for people if you'd like to go to horsechats.com and search for Tanya or search for Mitten, M-I-T-T-O-N, um, the whole NLP. Did you, is that when you met Tanya that you started to develop that or, you know, we already had that interest in NLP before then? What was it about Tanya that you all of a sudden thought, oh, I've got to have a little bit more to do with her because, um, you know, she's thinking along the same lines that I am. To be brutally honest, but she also knows this because she's now one of my best friends, um, I met Tanya because I came to Richard. Like, it, at the start, I didn't, she she was, you know, she I, I didn't even know who she was. But Richard was my coach educator for... Yeah, Tanya's husband, Richard. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he was my coach educator for my level one. And, um, but I met Tanya and we instantly connected, you know, sometimes you see a person and you're like, oh, you know, I've known you for a hundred years. And that was me and Tanya and Tanya pretty much, she's pretty much, well, I'd say 10 years ahead of me in my, in my learning. So I followed Tanya like a puppy dog around and she was doing her, uh, NLP, um, education when I started working for her. So I was just, you know, following her going, oh, this is so cool. This is so cool. And, um, and, and then I just followed on and I followed Richard and I saw him riding. I'm like, this is so cool. I need to be able to do that. And I just, you know, I, I, I pretty much soaked up everything that both of them had to teach me. So I had that super interesting combination of having such elite riders, both Tanya also obviously is a very good rider, but having Richard there and then having also his, friends you know obviously you know the five people that you spend time with is who you become like so you know Richard has got Matt Ryan over at his place and and um, all these great people and I don't know if you know Barry Roycroft but um, he introduced me to him and I had lessons with him um, so it was just that that whole aura of things that were happening around me and that's how I also also got into the NLP and I just went, well, you know, if you want to be a good rider, you need to understand your mind and your body. And that's, that's how it just, oh, it made so much sense. And then I just followed 
to be honest. I just follow Tanya's track. <laughs> yeah. And, and do you think that's the most common um, fault that we have with riders, trainers, handlers, is that they don't understand their mind? Is that, do you think that's, that's the most important thing that they need to, um, to be on top of before they can actually improve? Um, probably not be on top of, but they need to be aware because people and like our instinct, obviously it's, it's, you know, sometimes we get rough or we get angry or we get anxious or we get scared and out of scared things happen. Um, and I think any person who should or wants to be even close to a horse needs to be aware that the horse will always mirror and reflect. No matter what the horse does, it will be a 100% reflection of the person standing next to it, opposite of it, or trying to handle it. So, yeah, in the end, you need to be wanting to be improved by the horse. The horse will just teach you to be better. Yep. Liz, I've loved talking to you today. I think, um, you know, right from the start, I thought, you know, and especially when you said, well, I like to teach my beginners on trained horses, you know, and talking about FEI horses. And I challenged you a bit, you know, and I appreciate your answers because that's the sort of answer I want to hear because a lot of people say, oh, yes, you know, riders should be um, trained on FEI horses. But it's like, well, who's going to train the FEI horses if, if beginners, you know, like it doesn't make sense, but you've certainly brought along and said, no, this is the way it, it is. We've always got to have an experienced person there that can just lead them along. So, you know, whether you're training riders, training horses, someone's got to be in there as the leader to be able to uh, to do the training. I've certainly enjoyed chatting to you. So, look, we'd love to have you back again. So hopefully we will be able to chat soon and just explore all these ideas a lot deeper than we have today. So thank you. I'd love that. That would be fantastic. Thank you very much. No worries at all. I'll talk to you later then. Thanks, Liz. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 